Good morning, everybody. Hey, as you're able, let's stand. We're going to take some moments and just bless the Lord in song. You're welcome right where you are to join us. Anybody joining us online? Hey, good morning. It's wonderful to have you with us this morning. Let's bless the Lord together, church. Blessing and honor, glory and power, be unto the ancient of days. From every nation and all of creation, bow before the ancient of days. Every tongue in heaven and earth shall declare your glory. Every knee shall bow in your throne in worship.
does is it takes eyes off of the problem and puts it on the problem solver. So I just invite you to take a moment, dwell in his presence, bask in the love that we have through Jesus our Savior, and let's bless him as we sing beauty of the Lord. Jesus, your love step closer I will trust you will never let me go 
we do just want to bask in your beauty and in your presence and bless you for who you are. Not for what we can get from you, God, but simply bless you for who you are, for your goodness, for your unfailing love. We thank you that in times of uncertainty, times of high anxiety, times of depression, God, that we know you are in control, that you are sovereign, and we just want to pray your will be done and take faith steps in honoring you and walking with you, God. We know that you will never leave us and never let us go. So give us the strength to press into you as your church. Unite us unite us in one with you, Father, we pray this morning. We bless you with this time. We thank you for an opportunity to lift our voices together in song. And we just dedicate the rest of the service to you and for your glory. And all God's children this morning say, Amen. Amen. Hey, you can be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome, whether you're joining us here or in person. My name is Rob. I work with the students here at Northview. There's some things going on that we want to tell you about, but I think we could all agree we're living in a time right now where it sometimes feels like good news is hard to come by. Sometimes it's hard to find something to rally around, to celebrate. Well, this past week, uh, our very own John and Mallory Hayes welcomed their baby boy, Oliver, uh, into the world on Tuesday. So cute. John's birthday was Monday. Oliver's birthday is Tuesday. Uh, it's a fun thing. We were in staff meeting on Monday, uh, and Esther got a text message from John saying, well, we're heading to the hospital. And so there he is. Uh, you can see there a nice, healthy baby boy. Uh, I want to encourage you, reach out to John and Mallory. Give them your congratulations. Let's be praying for them as a group uh, as they get settled in. We know what an adjustment that can be. Uh, but it's good news. There's a lot of new life happening here at Northview this year, and that's worth celebrating. Other things that are happening, just so you're aware of, Christmas Eve, we are looking to do a virtual choir. Esther joined me up here last week to talk about that. And we want to let you know there's still two weeks to sign up. So you can be thinking about it. You can be praying about it. But we'd love for you, if you want to say, hey, I want to be part of a virtual Christmas Eve choir Let's talk about it. You can sign up online. You can reach out to Esther. There's other ways that you can record. You can either record at home and send it in. You can come in and Esther can help you record. We're trying to make it as easy as possible for those of you that want to join. So I encourage you, if that's something you're interested in, you can head online and sign up or even after service, come up here, grab Esther and say, hey, let's talk more about this Christmas Eve choir. And she would love to talk to you about that. the 31st Halloween, we're doing a special thing for the kids. We're doing a trunk or treat right back here in this parking lot. A bunch of you guys as families have signed up saying, hey, I'm gonna bring my car, I'm gonna decorate it, I'm gonna hand out candy so that we can do something fun for the kids. There's still time to sign up for trunk or treat. We wanna encourage you to do so four to six. Even if you have, if you have kids and you say, man, you gotta be kidding me, I can't rally. Decorating a car and getting the kids here, that's fine. Leave the car, just, just come and hang out. We just want to enjoy some time together this year. If you have questions, you can reach out to Kayla, our children's director. She's upstairs right now. Or you can jump onto the website or the church center app. There's more information there, and you can sign up to be part of that. Today, uh, for high school students that may be interested in Mexico, we've been talking about it for the last few weeks. Today is the last time I'm going to talk about it. Uh, we have our final informational meeting uh, at 4 o'clock, and it's online. It's going to be on Zoom. You can sign up online or you can grab me after service if you're interested. It's primarily for high school students and their parents. But if you've heard us talking about the last few weeks and you say, hey, I'm curious about what's going on. I, I want to know more. 
Uh, you can sign up and just join on. Uh, and you can hear more as I share about the mission trip, how it's similar and different to the one in 2019, some of the different aspects of it. Uh, but today is the last informational meeting. So if you're a high schooler and you've been on the fence about learning more, want to encourage you, sign up, join me today. Signing up does not mean you're guaranteed a spot on the trip, but it's the way to learn more and learn how to apply. Step by step, all right? We, we know this as a church body. If you're new, uh, Step by Step is an organization that helps at-risk mothers and families, and we partner with them each Christmas to put on a huge banquet. We welcome in something like 140 families into this church. We, we serve them dinner and toys and cookies and all sorts of stuff, and you can probably imagine that in, in keeping with guidelines, packing the church with hundreds, like it's like five, 600 people, isn't going to be possible this year. But that doesn't mean we're not going to still partner with Step by Step. We're still looking to help them. Uh, we're doing a drive-through Christmas party. Everybody else is doing it, birthday parties, graduations. We're doing it for Christmas. Um, and there's ways that you can help out. Just because it's different doesn't mean we don't need help. You can see out in the lobby uh, on the information desk, there's a box of various toys and games because one of the things that we're going to be doing is providing families with family gift boxes, things that they can do together during Christmas. You can see an example of it out, out in the lobby. Well, the two main ways that we're going to need help. We're, going to, we're still going to need people on site. We're going to need help directing traffic, setting up tents, decorating, handing out stuff as families drive through, celebrating them, making them feel loved. And then as always, the other side is the financial side of this. It still takes a lot of resources to pull off blessing 140 families as they drive through. So we're looking for grocery gift cards. We're looking for funds for cookie, cookie decorating kits, the family gift boxes, all sorts of stuff that you can still be part of, even if it looks a little bit different than doing it this way, how we normally do it. If you want to know more, if you want to help out or are curious, our very own Pam Mitchell, sitting right up here front and center, uh, would love to talk to you after service. We're also going to be sending out a letter in our email newsletter tomorrow explaining what the needs are and how you can help and how you can sign up and be part of that. And then in the next week or two on the Go Projects board, we will have information there as well. So the information is going to be everywhere. We just wanted you to be aware of it. This Christmas, we're still doing step-by-step, step, just a little bit different, and we would love for you to be part of it. Let's go before the Lord this morning. And if you have a tither offering at some point, you can drop it by the boxes in the back. But let's go before him. Jesus, I thank you that this year we can still look at ways to to serve our community. And Lord, it, it requires us to be a little bit more creative to adapt to things that are going on, but that's okay. Lord, may the things that we do this fall, especially step by step, be in line with your will and your spirit for this area, Lord. It's a tremendous event that we've been able to bless people with before on your behalf because of people responding obediently to you. May that be the same this year, Lord, even if it looks different. Be with us this morning, Lord. Thank you for bringing our church family together this morning. In your son's name, amen. Steve, come on up. If you are a middle school student, head on upstairs with Zeb and have a great time. When it comes to trunk or treat, uh, Pam and I volunteered. I should say we got volunteered <laughs> by the children's director, and we will be Star Wars characters. So you can come and check that out. It'll be good. Hey, uh, another thing, too, is... Um, 
you know, there's a lot going on, right, with the whole COVID-19 and uptick and all that stuff and the drama with that and the drama with the elections and all that kind of stuff. I just would like to remind us that we're not the only uh, country in the world and that um, there's a lot starting to fire up in the Middle East again and there's a lot going on with Israel and uh, there's stuff happening both on the northern border and the southern border that just happened this last week with uh, Hezbollah and Hamas. And uh, if you haven't tracked any of that, one of the things you can do is just Google uh, Israel News and start finding out about some of that. But just a reminder that uh, the centerpiece of real estate in the universe is Israel, okay? And uh, on this planet anyways. And uh, all of God's prophetic stuff winds up on that on that piece of geography and so on. I encourage you to check some of that out and be praying for the nation and uh, thinking about that as get a little bit our eyes off of ourselves. That would be helpful. All right, so we're in our uh, message series on Philippians. Take your Bibles or your phones. Welcome everybody this morning that have tuned in. We're glad to have you. And uh, we've been talking this fall. A number of you have given me comments back that these have been really helpful but we've been aiming at these four things. Certainly there's other things you could aim at. But for this fall going in, what we've said is that we need to be steadfast. That we need to maintain our unity. That we need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then to love each other deeply. We spent quite a bit of time last week talking about the need to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And we walked through the sanctification process. Uh, and that will flash that up on the screen so you can remember that. This week we're going to look at the last one, uh, to love each other deeply. But the questions we asked last week off of this were, on the X's on the right side of the dotted line, is usually when God backs up the line, he backs it over one or two things that we either want to hang on to or we habitually just kind of cave into. That, that's kind of our thing. And he backs the line up to say, you've got to let go of that. And why he backs up the line is because he's got one or two targets on the other side of the line that he wants us to move towards. And the question we left with last week are what are the one or two things that he's asked you to let go of or to walk away from? And what's the one or two things he's asked you to step towards? And that if we all did that as a body together, uh, whether we're here or at home or in our neighborhoods, but if we did that together in unison, that would help us as a church step towards him. And it would help us keep our eyes on him. Always remember, church, that he hasn't come back yet, but that doesn't mean he's not coming back, right? We might be the generation that he is. Now, lots of generations have thought that and been somewhat disappointed that they weren't. But also, things are changing. Lots of stuff is happening. We might be. And so this fall is a great time to be right with him. It's a great time not to sin. It's a great time to be walking in the Spirit, to be in the Word, to be tracking with Him, and anticipating, looking up to see what God is doing. One author says it this way, when you think about this uh, diagram, it says, not so much about what you have to give up. Kind of, sometimes we focus on that side and that's all we see. But <clears throat> they say that uh, it's the issue that you get to be close to God. And you go, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. But that raises another question. You know, that's really a powerful statement. Uh, 
Here's this diagram in Scripture. If you want to find this in Scripture, you go, where do you pull that from? Look at Titus chapter 2. It'll be up here on the screen. But watch how this replicates the diagram. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all our lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possessions who are zealous for good works. Right? Isn't that an incredible set of scriptures there? And so one of the questions on the table this morning is this. Is it worth it? Right? You've wrestled before. You're, you're not new at this, whether you're here or at home this morning. Uh, you've, you've wrestled with these kind of things. Is it worth it? Is it worth giving up the things I know that really aren't the best, are maybe even sinful? Is it worth giving that up for, for God? Is he, is he worth it? Is he worth, maybe a better way to even ask that, is God worth being close to? Stop and think about that for a second. Is God worth being close to? Now, intellectually, Sunday school answer, get your brownie star, right? Get the box checked. The answer is what? Yes, absolutely. But that's not always necessarily our emotional response. Coming from broken homes, coming from broken families, coming from broken relationships with fathers, coming from broken relationships with mothers, coming from things that went wrong, coming from divorced backgrounds, coming from bad churches, coming from, name it, right? We can, we can string a long list. There starts to build this wall that says, God is just like everything else I've run into life, and I need to keep this up with him just like I have with everybody else. And the real forceful answer in question coming out of this is, is he worth being next to? Scripture says that Jesus is his own reward. If you get nothing else but you get him, you've won. Is that true? Is he worth being close to? Paul answers this question in Philippians, the section we're going to be in today, in one of the most exquisite pictures of character, of the character and nature of God in chapter 2. Uh, before we go into that, let's, let's pray, all right? Father, we're going to walk into a very familiar passage, one that uh, most of us grew up with in Sunday school. We know it almost by heart and by rote to the point where we don't pay attention to it anymore. And we just check off the box and say, yes, I adhere to that. I believe that. But it doesn't necessarily mean we're emotionally connected to that. Father, this morning as we walk through that picture, could you uh, highlight the brushstrokes? Could you... Uh, Put texture to it? Could you put color to it? Could you redraw us and uh, say, yes, children, come back. Come back to me. Be in close. This fall would be a good time to do that. Help us, Lord, make that move. And we seek you for that in your name. Amen. All right. All right, we'll start with chapter 2, verse 1. If you're looking on with me, it says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. 
Paul is obviously here stating the obvious, right? Obviously there is. Obviously the answer is yes. He's saying, is there any encouragement in Christ? Well, of course there is. Is there any comfort in his love? Well, of course they had experienced comfort and love. That's why a lot of them became Christians. Uh, was there any participation in the Spirit? Of course the church saw that, right? They, they saw God working among them. They saw stuff happening. They saw a play very similar to how we've seen the Lord work for us here as well. Okay. Any affection and sympathy? Yes. All over, across the board. So Paul's asking these rhetorical questions and it's kind of stating the honest, like, do you love your wife? Do you love your children? Right? Yes, of course you do. Okay? And so <clears throat> Paul's saying to the Philippian church, hey, church, hey, church, has Jesus encouraged you? Well, of course he has. I mean, if we got up and just said this morning, you know, like Thanksgiving, what do we do? We sit around the table and say, hey, what are you thankful for? But if we had the microphone and said, everybody come up and just share one way that the Lord has encouraged you, the stories would be phenomenal. Again, I want to remind you, I know we don't look like much. I know you're online, you're, you're out there by yourself, and you're thinking, now nah, there's not much going on and that kind of stuff. But there are miracles in this room. And the only reason you don't know it is because you don't know the story. If you knew the story, you would be awed with what <clears throat> the Lord has done. Has there been uh, any comfort in his love? Yeah, many of us have felt the comfort of Christ's love. We've, that's the only source of love we've really actually had. Any participation in the Spirit? Yes. We're just talking about step by step. How many in this room have, have been done step by step? Right? Look around the room. Now at home, you can raise your hand, but we can't see it, right? But raise your hand anyway. A whole bunch of us. Has there been tremendous encouragement in the Spirit when we've done that? Yeah. And all kinds of stuff, right? So we've seen that as well. Paul's Paul's talking here and saying, uh, has his love comforted you? Yes, it has. Have you sensed the help of the Holy Spirit? Yes, we have. Right? How many of you have gotten over hurdles you couldn't have gotten over because the Holy Spirit kept bumping you, kept encouraging you, kept coming? You can do it. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. Have you sensed God's affection and sympathy for you? Yeah, a whole bunch. Right? But often when we get off by ourselves and isolated, we tend to forget that stuff. And when we come back, we're reminded of what we already know. So then it goes on. Now, if you're reading ESV, it doesn't have this. If you're reading NIV, it does have it, right? New International Version, that's NIV. Uh, English Standard Version is ESV. ESV uh, just says, complete my joy. NIV says, then, right? In the ESV, the then is implied, right? So you have then. So if these things are true, if these have happened, then, then what? Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. There's that unity piece again, right? If you've experienced those things, then be united in Christ. Be united, be grounded, be focused. This is a call for unity here. The Philippian church wasn't perfect. It was a good church, but it wasn't perfect. They had some contention issues. How do we know that? If you go to the end of the book, we haven't gotten there yet, but we'll get there. Uh, at the end of the book, Paul admonishes Eudia and Sethinkati, I can't even say that name right, okay, uh, to get along and come to agreement. These were two of the leading ladies in the church that were squabbling. 
And Paul's asking them to come to peace together. Lay it down. Give it up. Paul says, if you want to make my joy complete, stop fussing and get along. That's a good word for us, right? Fussing. We like to fuss. We like to grumble. We like to complain. We like to... Right? We like to... We like to do that. It's a challenge to see the good, to see the best in each other. It's, it's often hard to do. And he follows that up with, with this in verse 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Okay? Conceit would be uh, you know, the idea that uh, it's all about me. I'm the big tomato. I'm, you know, it's got to be my way. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, this kind of seems like slotted in there, but to understand this, we need to remember, uh, remember those huge battles that took place that shaped the Roman Empire outside of Philippi when we started this series? We talked about those. Our own rich lamb, uh, who's got a military background, came up to me and he, he gave me this, and he said, he said this, he says, Philippi, was a military family town with many people there having been rewarded with lands for honorable military service and thereby securing the, the area of the early eastern boundary of the empire. In other words, Philippi was a guard city for the Roman Empire. And he says, he goes on to say this, it's very likely that many members of the church were former military or uh, families or descendants. So it was a military town. Some of you grew up in the military. Some of you know what military towns are like. Uh, they have their own unique uh, flavor. Uh, and he says, I, he says, I believe that their military character and values is one of the primary reasons the book of Philippians is written with a tone of affection and appreciation and joy towards its members, which is notably different from many of Paul's other epistles, which are more focused on correcting or rebuking or warning about false teachings. As noted, there was a major civil war battle in Philippi. Uh, he says, think Gettysburg, right? If you're thinking battles kind of for the United States. About 80 years before Paul's arrival, and this war formed the Roman Empire as we and they knew it. After that war, Octavian, which later became Augustus, uh, awarded many parcels of land to the elite Praetorian Guard that had been loyal to him. And this is the same elite unit that Paul refers to uh, in the book of Romans that they, he, he had been leading to Christ. Uh, keep in mind that our, in our culture, nepotism is generally viewed as a negative context, but in this day and era, in Rome, it was the primary method of operation, as it is in most cultures. Family position and personal relationships were the foundation of all civil government and society. And since people often followed in the steps of their fathers, it's very likely that many of the members of the church in Philippi were personally connected to the very people Paul was mentioning in Rome. Right? So there's this close tie you don't think of. All of a sudden, whoa, Paul writing from prison in Rome, leading the uh, imperial guard to Christ, he's suddenly writing this letter to Philippi, and you realize, well, that's way more connected than we normally give it credit for. may seem unusual that uh, uh, Paul's reference to these people in Rome was vague, no names, when considering the strong personal ties, but it was probably intentional because of the political dangers and difficulties that could arise from too much attention in Rome. 
right? You've got to be careful there. He's, he says, Rich says, I suspect that the church of Philippi benefited from a greater degree of security and freedom because the sinning magistrates probably thought it best to leave them well alone since they were friends of Paul and they had knowledge of the magistrate's crime of arresting and beating Roman citizens, that would be Paul and Silas, without a trial. A very serious offense in a first city. It's fascinating background. So <clears throat> thinking about that and tying that piece of history in, why would Paul admonish them to do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility to count others more significant than yourselves? Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Well, this was a first city. Uh, military victors, military conquests, uh, are not necessarily known for their humility, right? <laughs> That's not exactly what goes together there. And, uh, you know, humility is, is not always absent, but often it's down the list quite a ways in a military community. It's all about command and structure and who answers to who and, and how that goes. Uh, military people are self-made people. They're strong people. Uh, but military people are also, if you know anything about the military, they're awesome at taking care of their own. Right? In battle, they watch out for each other. And uh, what Paul's saying here is, is take care of each other. Watch each other's backs. Help each other's out. He's, he's applying to a principle that they already know, that they already adhere to. What he's saying is, don't just look out for yourself. Now, Notice what he's not saying here. Let me emphasize this. What he's not saying, he is not saying it's wrong to be responsible and take care of your own responsibility. He's not saying that at all. He's saying this. What he's saying is don't only look after your own interests, but also look out for the interests of others, which is a great word for them and a great word for us today. They know how to do that because they were on the outer edge of the Roman Empire. They had to stand together. It was a dangerous world back then. And Paul leverages this military understanding for the kingdom and is saying, just as you understand this from a human perspective, so do this from and for a kingdom perspective in the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay. And so what he's asking them is, watch out for each other, cover each other's back, just like you know how to do that. Love each other. This whole exhortation is about humility. And here comes the beautiful portrait. Here comes the beautiful portrait. This is considered one of the greatest pictures in the history of literature that was ever written. Paul uses it to illustrate his point about Jesus. Verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says, being in the form of God, or in the very nature of God, denotes or means that Jesus has the outward human manifestation that corresponds to the essence of God's true nature. We would know that as the theological term is the hypostatic union. Fully God, fully man. And Jesus was God and man blended in both natures together. Hebrews 1 tells us that he, Jesus, is the exact representation of the Father. So if you want to know what God's like, read the four Gospels, look at Jesus, that's what he's like. 
When you read 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, love does not... Don't be impressed. I do a lot of weddings, okay? I know that section, all right? But you can take that passage and you can do something with it. You can take that passage and you can put Jesus' name in that passage. And when you do, a personality, a character emerges. Jesus is patient. Has Jesus been patient with anybody here in the room? Anybody at home this morning? Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He's not rude. He's not proud. He's not self-seeking. If anybody could blow his trumpet and strut his stuff, wouldn't it be God? And it says he doesn't do that. It says he's humble. Okay? It goes on with a whole bunch of other descriptions. It says he doesn't rejoice in evil, but rejoices in the truth. He always hopes, always protects, always perseveres. Love never fails. Right? That's a person. Now, if you want to know where you have to go in Jesus Christ, it's very easy. Take and put your name in that list. All right? I am patient. Anybody in trouble yet? <laughs> you don't get very far in that list, and you suddenly see the gap. Right? Why are we laughing? Because, oh, man, I'm dead on the first one. That's not even fair. Gong. Thanks for playing. Right? So this is what we're talking about here. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. We are so familiar with this. The problem is that we can sometimes miss the implications and the impact of this. Uh, what does it mean that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped? Would you indulge me for just a minute and let me take us on a little goose trail, okay? This is not exactly tied to this passage, but I, I want to take us somewhere and see if we can play this out a little bit that would make sense for us this morning. What does it mean that he did not consider equality with God something that could be grasped, that something to be held on to, something you don't give up at any cost? Um, if you look at John 1.1, John, of course, was the disciple Jesus loved, and he was closest to his heart. John was writing about Jesus, and he says this, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We're talking about the universe. We're talking about our planet. We're talking about people. Jesus made the universe. Paul expands on this in several places. One of the best ones is in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. When Paul's writing about Jesus, he says this. He is the image. In other words, when you look in a mirror, what's the image you see? You see an image of yourself. So when you're looking at Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. So when you read the Gospels, you are looking at the invisible image of the visible God. Because you see it in Jesus. He is the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created uh, through him and for him. There's a, a book uh, called The Privileged Planet. I don't know if you've ever heard it. It's uh, also in a, a, a documentary form. I think it's on Netflix. It's also on um, oh, Right Now Media. You can look it up. Uh, it's written by uh, Guillermo Gonzalez and Jay um, Richards. And this is a copy of the book. It's a great read. Um, but this, they give us some insight into this. Their book comes from the intelligent design angle. And just to pull a few ideas that would help highlight what we've just said. One of the things that they highlight is the fine-tuning of the universe. 
Now, none of us are astrophysicists, uh, but uh, you don't have to know all of it to know some of it. And what this is talking about is that it just so happens that a bunch of factors are lined up in just exactly the right way and in exactly the right amounts for our universe to exist and for life to exist on this planet. That the exact right amounts for life, and not just life, but they would say discovery, uh, to use their terms, to happen. Uh, just to peek into what this means. Uh, some numerical factors for a finely tuned universe. So I took uh, four of them. So if you look up here, you have the strong nuclear force, you have the weak nuclear force, you have gravity, electromagnetic, and that just means everything's in balance on the molecular level, and it holds everything in tension. There's these weird forces pulling on each other, pushing each other, and they do that in exactly the right amounts. If they did it too much, the universe would just blow apart. If they did it too little, it would collapse on itself. And these are to the fine-tuning mechanisms, the least of which is 10 to the 35th power, which means 10 with 35 zeros behind it, which means that's a lot of zeros, which means highly, highly, highly improbable that this is just chance and just sort of kind of happened. If we take just these four, by the way, there's 26 of these. Okay, there's 26 cosmological constants. You can look them up. Some of them you can't even pronounce. <clears throat> you can see the fine-tuning of the universe. If these numbers are tweaked even a fraction of a percent, the universe as we know it, as I said, collapses or doesn't exist. Furthermore, if you tweak one of them, just take these four, if you tweak one of them, <clears throat> none of the others work either. It's very much like a musical instrument, like a guitar or a banjo or a uh, you know, ukulele or a mandolin. If you take one of the pigs and quink, right? And you go, well, I'm, I use that illustration, right? You're gonna just keep playing and throws the whole thing off. And that, if that's what happens with these that they're, they, in other words, they're intertwined to an unimaginable precision that we can't even really get our minds around. J. Warner Wallace, who is someone that we have familiarity with, says the fine-tuning of the universe is on the level. He says if you were to take a target, right? If, so you guys are familiar with targets. Some of you have gone and gone shooting and shot at targets, that kind of stuff. So if you take a normal target and you have the bullseye in the center, the bullseye in the center is about an inch across. Right, Doug? About an inch, give or take. And yeah, okay, somewhere in there, okay? So it's, it's about there. So you take that inch dot. Here's what that's like. If you were trying to put it into perspective, if you took that one inch dot and you put that dot on the edge of the universe, which is about roughly, give or take, 20 billion light years away, Here's what you're talking about. For it to be chance, what are the odds that you shoot and hit that bullseye at the end of the target? Not good, right? What are the odds by chance that you would hit that bullseye? It, it's impossible. And yet all of that hangs in precision. Every day, we sit here, the universe exists because the bullseye was hit. Let's not forget that. In all of our problems and struggles, let's remember we are sitting in the midst of an 
incredibly miraculous design universe that we take for granted every day. I came in this morning, it was 29. It was cold, I wore a sweater, okay? And uh, I, I looked in the stars, it was so clear, the stars were just twinkling. And I knew what I was talking about, I was like, wow, this is amazing, right? It's incredible. Because scripture, the Bible tells us what? Tells us that Jesus, the Jesus that Paul's preaching here in Philippians, the Jesus that we've come to believe in, is the one who hit the bullseye. He's the one who put it all together. And that means we should have some awe because he's both the architect and the designer, not just of the world, not just of the universe, but of us. Right? I, I mean, we, we've got to stop, not just take that in him, but we got to, Lord, we've got to stop and worship you. We've got to bless you, Lord. This morning, as we sit here, we need to be a grateful people. We need to be a humble people. We need to have our eyes on you. What you just did leaves us, wow, incredible. How in the world we managed to survive is because everything you put in place. Lord, you've designed it all. And Jesus, we owe you a great debt of awe. We owe you incredible, incredible thanks, incredible gratefulness, and Lord, incredible humility. When none of us have got that figured out. And you do. And it, it brings us to a place where we go, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Oh, Lord, it's incredible, right? Why worship? It's so astounding, okay? But why, why worship him? Because here's the piece. He gave all that up. The control and the design of the universe, it says he did not consider that something to be grasped. The creator of the universe stepped down. Who does that? Okay? You're the CEO of your company. You just stepped down? I don't think so. Okay? Boys say, we don't like you. You look at them and say, too bad. I don't like you either. And one of us is moving and it ain't me. Bye. Right? That's how it works down here. He stepped on. He didn't grasp or hang on for dear life. It says he emptied himself. It says he gave it all up. This, my friends, is the greatest illustration in the universe of what real love is. Right here, we're looking at what it really means to be loved. This is what it looked like. In verse 8, it says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What's going on here? Multiple things, but at least three. Number one, there was a dirty job that needed to be done and someone had to volunteer to do it. And none of us were volunteering. So Jesus volunteered. When Jesus volunteered to wash the disciples' feet, remember that story, right? When he volunteered to wash the disciples' feet, it wasn't the first time he had volunteered to do a dirty job. Mike Rowe does not have a corner on this market. The clear declaration of scripture is that Jesus came to make a substitutionary sacrifice for our sins because nobody else would and nobody else could. He was the only one who could actually pull this off. Number two, he thought it was worth the sacrifice. This has to be emphasized. He thought we were worth the sacrifice. Which is fascinating because half the time we don't think we're worth the sacrifice. 
We don't think we're worth much at all. If we could listen to our self-talk, we are atrocious. We are terrible how we talk about ourselves. Jesus doesn't talk about us that way. That's what's so revolutionary about Jesus. He actually sees the good in us. Even if people didn't respond, he would come for those who would. By the way, that offer's still on the table. If you don't know him, if you've not asked him into your life, and you're watching online or you're here this morning, you just have to acknowledge this and say, you know what, Lord, I believe in what Steve's saying. I believe who you are. I believe I need you in my life. I need you to save me. And I understand i got a control issue. i got to give that up. You didn't hang on to it. i got to let go as well. I've got to trust you. And I've got to come into your kingdom. Come and save me. And he will do it. Boom. Many, many testimonies sitting here right this morning or watching this morning that can tell you that that is exactly true. This is the phenomenal heart of God. Phenomenal heart of God. You're looking at me and saying, yeah, you have to say that because you're a pastor. You don't understand. I was once not a pastor. And I was once not a very nice guy. And I was once someone you wouldn't want next to your daughters. And I was once someone who threw it all out the window. And that love found me. Okay? And if it could find me, it can find you. Now, that doesn't mean you have to become a pastor. Right? That's God's ironic humor with everything. That's how that works, right? Just tell them what you don't want to do and, and, and underline it and say never and put an exclamation point by it. That would be great. <laughs> but he thought we were worth the sacrifice. It's his phenomenal heart. For what does it say? God so loved the world. He loves people, even today, as obnoxious as we are. He loves people. His heart's breaking over the lost. And, and we've got to keep praying that he'll help find them. Uh, note, note this, too. It's not hard to be close to somebody who loves you. Right? Think about that. It is not hard to be close to them. When we're talking about being close to God, is he worth it? It's not hard to be close to somebody who loves you. Now, we may be stupid. We may be belligerent. We may be, you know, uh, anti but that, will, that love will keep coming, and it'll keep asking, and it'll keep requesting. And sooner or later, we've got to get over ourselves and realize we're the ones with the problem. I found I was fighting the one who was trying to help me. It was an embarrassing revelation. Remember back at the beginning of the message, we talked about it's not what you have to give up that's important. And what's important is that you get to be next to God. You get to be close to God. What this passage is demonstrating, expressing in one of the most beautiful word pictures that exist in all of human history. What's it describing? What's it saying? What's this say so clearly about God? What does this tell you? It tells you that God is humble. God is not arrogant. God is not like rulers and leaders and tyrants and the Romans and the Caesars and the Titans and all those other things that he's not. God is humble. Look at verse 28. Matthew 11, 28, 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's the point. Jesus is easy to be around. 
He's easy to be next to. Nine times out of ten, if you and Jesus are far apart, the question is who moved? And you'll find it wasn't Jesus. It's us, usually. And because of his humility uh, to accept a terrible assignment, he's worth honoring. He gave up all his status and privileges. He required, uh, it required him to do without. Right? That's a big concern of us in our culture right now. What if things keep getting worse and we have to do without? Jesus had to do without. He stepped on. But way more than that, it was an assignment that would subject him to ridicule. How many of you do well when you get mocked? Ridicule, mocking, scorn, derision, persecution, torture, and death. And then it says, therefore. You always have to in scripture, the therefores. What's the therefore, therefore, right? Well, Paul answers that, therefore. Verse 9, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That means even in hell. Everyone one day will bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nobody going to be sitting there going, yeah, I'll think about it. Whether they want to or not, they're going to bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. It says every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the ultimate reality. This is what's really the deal. Not the stuff we think it is that we invest our lives in all this stuff. This is what God says aim at. When it says set your mind on things above, this is what it means to set your mind on things above. The kingdom is coming. It might come this fall. Now, it might not. There's lots of generations thought they were the last generation. But then again, how long has it been since Jesus has been on the planet? It's over 2,000 years. we got to be a lot closer to it than when he was first here. Right? And are you ready if it was this fall? Are, is your mind set on things above? Or are you all down here about what you got to get? <coughs> again, Lord, Wow. We praise you. We praise you. We just, we are at your mercy. We need you. We need your help. Thank you. Remember last week, the uh, end point was what were the one or two things? Do those one or two things really seem like such a big deal after walking through a message like this? Couldn't you give those things up for the Lord? Right? Even if you're sitting at home and nobody knows you're thinking through these things or even processing, couldn't you give those up for him? Because he's done that for you. And wouldn't it be worth stepping towards the couple things he's encouraging you this fall? You don't know. You don't know how it's going to play out. It's wise to be obedient. Last week, were you able to identify him? And were you able to take some beginning steps? Or did you just drop it and move on with your life and just keep going? I want to suggest this is an incredible time to be listening to the Lord, to listen to the Holy Spirit, to listen to the bumps he gives us when he says no, no. He says yes, yes. When he says wait, wait. When he says go, go. And a great time to be in the Word. Or did you just, instead of those beginning steps, just find yourself strangely reluctant to move towards him? Augustine, 
captures our dilemma well. I don't know if you've ever seen this quote before, but in his book, Confessions, an incredible read, says, you never go away from us, talking about the heart and nature of God. You never go away from us, and yet we have difficulty in returning to you. Come, Lord, stir us up. Call us back. Kindle us and seize us. Be our fire. Be our sweetness. Let us love. Let us run. That means let us run in the Holy Spirit. Let us do what God has asked us to do. The call is not only to love God deeply, but to love each other deeply like God has loved us. To love each other like Jesus has loved us. Remember how he's loved you. You're not the easiest person to love. Have you figured that out? Just ask your husband or wife. Hey? Boy, that was strangely quiet. Yeah. He loves us. It is quite literally the grandest adventure in the universe. Let's pray this morning. Father, as we go through this, we wrestle with this, help us. Help us think about the incredible sacrifice you gave and make that real about what you gave up. Lord, um, we get very threatened when our stuff gets threatened to be pulled from us. Father, we, we stress over that. We ask for your help. We, what is it like to love the way you love? And what is it like to love other people? And none of us have arrived on that, including myself. Lord, we seek you that you would help us be united as a church, that you would help us love. Lord, we seek you for having a humble attitude like you have. Help us get over ourselves. Help us lay it aside like you laid it aside. Lord, may that simple step tell the people around us that something is different, including our neighbors and others who don't know you. Lord, we have thousands upon thousands upon thousands that live within a five-mile square radius that think what we're doing today is the stupidest thing in the world when you could sleep in. Why would you give that up? Lord, introduce them to yourself. We ask that you would help us be a divine appointment for them. And may we walk in your paths this week. And we give that to you in your name. Amen. Amen. Powerful stuff this morning, Steve. Is he worth getting close to? Stand with us as you're able.
Remember that saying I said last week, as we head into the next two weeks, don't let the donkeys and the elephants make you forget that you're a child of the Lamb. Right? Don't be thrown. He holds it all in his hands. Lean into him. Lean in, lean in, lean in. All right, church? We know what to do. What do we need to do? We need to be steadfast. Right? Right? We need to be steadfast. We need to be united. We need to walk in a manner that means internally and externally, worthy of the Lord. Right? And then we ought to love each other deeply. Those are good things to practice. Let's do that. All God's people said? Amen. Amen. All right. You are dismissed. We'll see you next week.